couple weeks back on the program, that was the pre-Oscar program, we talked about how we were rooting for a movie to win, which is kind of unusual, but we were hoping very much that the artist would carry the day, and in fact it did. Speaking to us about that uh, pre-Oscar was our good pal Gary Chu. We said we'd have to have Gary back post, uh, post-awards to see if it won or if it didn't, and it did, and by God, he's back to talk about it. So welcome back, Gary Chu. Thank you. Glad to be back. Uh, and I always enjoy talking about good movies. And of course, we agreed the, uh, the artist was one, and it carried the day. Big, big winner. Really fine flick. Yeah, I, I was very pleased. Uh, uh, there are some really other good movies that came out this past year, which weren't even nominated, but I, I don't want to get into that now. But they were good, or almost as good as The Artist. But The Artist was a movie that I thought was good in several ways because it talked, it showed the the old way movies were made before you and I were born. Yes. And all of that, and then uh, it told a clever, loving, typical movie motion picture story in the in the genre or the the tone uh, of the of movies of that time but it also did it with a lot of class and and as i said earlier very clever and also with a lot of style talent and nothing blue whatsoever you know i mean there was nothing you know the nearest thing that there was was when she had her arm in this guy's jacket right, right, and right. put the arm around her you know i mean that's it was is about as clean a movie as you could expect. And, Which, and there aren't too many clean movies anymore. Well, these days, if you don't shoot somebody in the head, it's not considered quality comedy, you know? I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad they did turn it back to the era of Charlie Chaplin, a gentler era, and, and made it work, damn it. Me too. I really am. Uh, also, another thing that I, I noticed was, I think it's uh, what the French call the Legion of Honor. Yeah. That uh, the Weinstein people, the people who produced and put this movie out... They got the Legion of Honor uh, from the French nation and President Sarkozy. But Harvey, I think his name is, Harvey Weinstein got word on on getting this last August. And they kept it a secret until after the Oscars, because I didn't read the news story online until after the Oscars were given out. So nobody in Hollywood, except maybe the people in the office, and they were sworn to secrecy of the Weinstein people, knew that they had gotten it because they didn't want it to sway, huh. which I thought was kind of cool. And then it came out after, after the fact that, uh, yeah, the uh, Sarkozy and the French nation were quite happy uh, and pleased that uh, they were able to make work for uh, French people in, a, on a, in an American movie, which is about our American cinema in the early 20th century. You know, Gary, I, I like the French. I can't understand why they like Jerry Lewis so much, but I think they do generally have good taste. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big Jerry Lewis fan either, although he did make me laugh when I was younger. They really think he's something. Of course, I think it's because of his choreographed way he moves and kind of <laughs> the silly way like Chaplin used to do sort of. Yeah. You know, I think they dig that kind of stuff. Oh, I have to confess, I saw him in um, in Damn Yankees. He played the devil. This was about 10 years ago. I have to admit, he was awfully good. So there you go. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this, Gary. Um, somebody sent an, an email to us. Uh, Sterling, in fact, sent us one saying, Doug, if you like the artist like I did, you will like Hugo. It's an unfortunate the ads for it made it seem like a kid's movie, even a cartoon, but it was not. The actor that played Pepe in The Artist was also in Hugo. Uh, he noted it was interesting that as our economic disparity reflects the 20s, there are more movies from that era, which is, which is interesting observation. Yes, it is, and I, I can't add a lot to that because... 
I'm going to have to expose myself by saying I didn't see Hugo, and I am beating myself up for it now. What's well, out on DVD? Well, let's go rent no. it and watch it. Why don't you, come okay, on, come I, on I, over. I, I want to see it. One of my close friends here in town <laughs> has been raving about it. He saw it, and he keeps telling me to go see it. And I didn't know that uh, uh, Berenice Bejeau was in also that movie, as, besides being Peppy in the other movie. And she was great, and she was as good as the guy who won the Oscar, as far as I'm concerned. I'd say she was she was uh, just about as good and, and, and nicer to look at, frankly. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd go along with that. <laughs> well, you know, we, we talked to David Keene and you a couple weeks back, and the big question was, if the artist wins a quality movie, will that induce people in Hollywood, given the whole monkey-see, monkey-do uh, society they have down there, to start following the lead to make better pictures? What, what, what do you think? I hate to rain on your parade <laughs> but i don't think uh, hollywood will change at all so long as they can sell tickets with the uh, really bad movies and most of the movies that are really not very good are the ones who sell the most tickets and uh, i'm reviewing a movie it's coming out uh, well if this program runs on a thursday evening it'll be coming out tomorrow okay and it's a review on the new walt disney movie i think it's the first time i've done a review on a disney movie since I've been doing them for over the past dozen years here in Sacramento, and uh, that will give you a sign as to why I don't think they're going to be making uh, uh, movies like The Artist very much in Hollywood. I, I hope you're wrong, but sad to Me say, too. I think you, that you're probably going to turn out to be right. Mm-hmm. Gary Chu, always a pleasure. Let's uh, let's talk about some movies more here in 2012. See ya. Okay. We need to back up in a little more of this negativity that we've been sort of trying to avoid. Um, Super Tuesday was this week. Republicans are still fighting it out. The only guy that can never find enough people to uh, give him a majority is Ron Paul, which I guess just goes to show you that no matter what state in the union you want to pick, you will not be able to find a significant number of people sane enough to choose Paul over the other three. The most amazing thing, Rick Santorum carried three states. Santorum took pluralities in North Dakota, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. Of course, we shouldn't get too upset about that, I guess. We are talking about North Dakota, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. These are the kind of places that uh, our favorite political correspondent, Will Durst, refers to as the locations where people say things like, Hey, look at him. He's wearing shoes. By the way, Gary Chu is a native Oklahoman. We're going to have to have him tell some stories about um, his good pals, the Okies. Because I'm sure he's got a few. And, of course, what can you say about Rush Limbaugh that hasn't already been said? Or at least have been included in the joke. What's the difference between Rush Limbaugh and the Hindenburg? The answer, of course, is that one is a flaming bag of Nazi gas, whereas the other is a Zeppelin. But yeah, in case you haven't heard, apparently uh, Georgetown University student Sandra Fluke, an activist on the issue of uh, regulations mandating contraception coverage, got uh, barred by the Republicans, by the way, of course, from testifying at a House hearing last month, was labeled by Rush Limbaugh a slut and prostitute. Limbaugh also helpfully suggested to her that she might want to make sex tapes and post them online, 
while speculating that she only had a problem paying for contraception because she was having, quote, so much sex, unquote. Now, I don't want to imply that Rush Limbaugh's kind of an irresponsible individual, but I am pretty sure that if I got popped with 10,000 Oxycontin, I'd have done time. Mr. Limbaugh, for his transgression, received no punishment. In fact, he was never even indicted. I don't believe he was ever arrested. I do want to thank uh, someone for sounding off on the KDVS uh, DJ's listserv on this topic, specifically about doing business with Clear Channel Communications. Lauren forwarded the following. Quote, but it would seem that Clear Channel's Premier Radio Networks, Inc., which hosts Limbaugh's program and has him under contract until 2016, is sticking by its controversial commentator. In a statement last Sunday, the channel noted that contraception, quote, sparks strong emotional opinions on both sides of the issue, unquote, and that the channel respects the right of Mr. Limbaugh as well as the rights of those who disagree with him to express those opinions. I don't know. I heard the gal that said that was a slut. Actually, I just made that up. I'm not even sure a gal said that, but isn't that a bit over the top? And we should note that at a community radio station, people do have to take some um, instruction as to how to behave. Guidance here at KDVS is often provided by... Guidance here at KDVS is generally provided by Rick Ely, at least for uh, introductory sessions for disc jockeys. On the same topic, Rick had a thing or two to say, and I quote, In short, we reduce our policy to the second most golden rule, which everybody remembers from kindergarten after please and thank you, which is, if you can't say anything nice about someone, don't say anything at all. Now, that's really for our music DJs, but public affairs hosts can and do take corporations, certain voices in mainstream media, and certain politicians to task about corruption, oppression, and or their lack of courage to stand up to it. If you Google Limbaugh's apology, first thing you'll pull up will be... (laughs) Comments on Slate by Emily Yoff, noting that Rush Limbaugh's statement on Sandra Fluke was a textbook example of what not to say. Noted Emily, in response uh, to Limbaugh's comments, advertisers have started pulling out of his show, so he tried to staunch the wound. Noting that presumably visions of radio host Don Imus, whose career was permanently damaged after he called the Rutgers University women's basketball team nappy-headed hoes, helped convince Limbaugh to make a rare apology. Well, an apology of sorts. Here's what passes for an apology from Rush Limbaugh. For over 20 years, I've illustrated the absurd with absurdity. Three hours a day, five days a week. In this instance, I chose the wrong words in my analogy of the situation. I did not mean a personal attack on Ms. Fluke. Which makes you stop right there and say, sure, calling somebody a prostitute and a slut is no way a personal attack, is it? He continues to bloviate. I think it's absolutely absurd that during these very serious political times, we're discussing personal sexual recreational activities before members of Congress. I personally do not agree that American citizens should pay for these social activities. What happened to personal responsibility and accountability? Where do we draw the line? If this is accepted as the norm, what will follow? Will we be debating if taxpayers should pay for new sneakers for all students that are interested in running to keep fit? In my monologue, I posited that it is not our business whatsoever to know what is going on in anyone's bedroom, nor do I think it's a topic that should reach a presidential level. 
He sure sounds uh, contrite, doesn't he? He closes with, My choice of words was not the best. In an attempt to be humorous, I created a national stir. Noted Emily, This sounds as if you wish you'd search for a better way to call someone a slut. Finally, he says, I sincerely apologize to Miss Fluke for the insulting word choices. Of course, that's where you should have begun, don't you think? Chris, Mr. Miller, who's followed this issue closer than I have, points out that when Miss Fluke testified before Congress, she was talking about a friend of hers who took birth control pills for <laughs> non-reproductive issues. Anyway, for more information on Rush Limbaugh, we refer you to the book by Al Franken titled Rush Limbaugh is a Big Fat Idiot. We hasten to add that, like Mr. Limbaugh, when Mr. Franklin says that, he did not mean that as a personal attack. And we keep meaning to come back to the subject of tax reform, something this country actually is badly in need of. We should find some expert to talk about this. Apparently a lot of corporations like General Electric, one of our major defense contractors, uh, not only pays, in essence, no corporate income tax, it gets a rebate from the government and makes money. <laughs> when it comes to tax time. Robert Reich, writing in csmonitor.com, noted that U.S. companies are booking record profits but are contributing the lowest share of them to the collective pot in at least 40 years. Under Dwight Eisenhower, corporations paid 32% of all tax revenues. Now it's 10%. Mr. Reich suggests we keep the tax rates where they are for corporations and close their beloved loopholes. Now, The Economist points out that a lot of other nations have lower corporate tax rates than we do, which is 35%. President Obama wants to lower them to 28%, I guess with the idea that being that, well, if they're going to pay less, they'll be more honest about it. Well, if you have all these loopholes and you're not paying 20%, you're paying, in essence, 0%, what do you care also writing in csmonitor.com, Howard Gleckman noted that Obama's proposed cures may make the disease worse. In one breath, he criticizes tax laws that favor certain businesses, like hedge funds and the oil and gas industry. Then he turns around and proposes a more generous 25% rate just for manufacturers. Adding, didn't he just say it's a bad thing to use the tax code to distort investment decisions? Obama's plan simply trades one group of loopholes for another. Don't you wish that President Obama was a better president than he's turning out to be? I sure do. And to change the subject somewhat radically, I do want to, again, quote from a letter that was to the Sacramento Bee regarding the rather grim story about um, the mass graves being located down by Linden near Stockton. Noted Bob Paoluccio to the Bee. Sacramento bounty hunter Leonard Padilla should be commended for using his methods to extract information from the last of the speed freak killers. He's accomplished something that has not been accomplished from all our law enforcement agencies and investigators in more than 25 years. Closure for those victims' families. They now know this offers some peace of mind, even if it is bittersweet. Thank you, Mr. Padilla. Now, the B editors, there's no way of telling how many people were killed by Wesley Shermantin and Loren Herzog, meth-addicted friends who became known as the Speed Freak Killers. But evidently, Mr. Padilla talked Wesley Shermantin into revealing the locations of the burial sites of some of his victims. 
And apparently after informing Lauren Herzog that Sherman Teen was showing where the bodies were buried, Herzog then hung himself. To which I say, good. I know signatures are uh, being obtained now to put a ballot measure on the uh, California November ballot, which will ban the death penalty. If it qualifies, we'll be talking about that in the months to come. Personally, I can't think of anybody I'd rather ask about that particular question than Leonard Padilla. So we may, uh, we will probably try to arrange that in those same months to come. We do remind you of the fact that Mr. Herzog was out on parole. Of course, he was not out on parole for being a mass murderer, being convicted of a mass murder. He was convicted of one count of voluntary manslaughter. That's after his conviction for killing three people was overturned on appeal. Because apparently he wasn't Miranda'd fast enough. And one of our crack legal eagles got him off. And by the way, I've, I've never said in this program that I think the American legal system is the worst in the world. God knows. There's plenty of places with worse legal systems. Afghanistan. Burkina Faso. Congo. And, and probably many others. And by the way, if you're part of that legal team that got Mr. Herzog off, please, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We'd like to hear your side of the story. It used to be thought of when you, when you confessed to a crime, that was considered part of the healing process. And of course, anytime you confess to a crime, from a legal standpoint, that puts you at a disadvantage. Therefore, the best legal advice will always be to shut up. Whether the criminal or society at large is best served by this policy is quite a different question. I think that's about all I'll say about that today. Mr. McMillan, we need some up topics here. Any ideas? The Muppets? What about the Muppets? I don't know. You're the host. Thanks a lot. Well, I agree. I like the Muppets. Desperate for a way out of this segment? I'll take it. And doggone it, let's take a break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Sensational, inspirational, celebrational 